uh, welcome. It's good to see you all today. It is time for us now to turn our attention to the Word of God. I'm going to read just one verse of Scripture to you. Actually, I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what it says, and I don't even need you to turn there. I just need you to hear it. A lot of times you turn there, but you don't hear it. But you can also hear it without turning there. I'd rather you hear it without turning there. This is what it says, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 18. It says, your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with the grave will not stand. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, your covenant with death will be annulled. Now look back at your neighbor and say, I didn't even know I had one. <laughs> Do you know that we can make a covenant with death and wow. not even know it? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That there's a possibility that the thing that is messing up your life yeah. is not external to you. Huh. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. <laughs> it's not your mama. It's not your daddy. Yeah. It's not your boss. It's not your coworkers. Yeah. It's not your brothers or your sisters. Yeah. But it's the fact that at some point in your life, you made a covenant with death. Wow. And ever since you made that covenant with death, huh. you've been a dead man walking, wow. a dead woman walking. Wow. Yeah, 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 My yeah. subject this morning is dead man walking. Huh. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the power of your spirit and the truth of your word yeah. that comes to us in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Today, I pray that you would release all three in his name. Amen. 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 I had a powerful experience this week in my journaling. Uh, my wife and I have been doing Emmanuel journaling every day, and especially the, just the last three, four weeks, we had a traumatic experience. We were involved in a traumatic situation, and coming out of it, it wasn't even our situation, but we were triggered by that situation in deep ways. When you're walking through somebody else's trauma, I'm going to preach a, a series on, uh, I'm going to preach on the book of Job, I mean, on, on um, not Job, uh, Jonah, soon, yeah. because you're, these guys are out at sea, and it's Jonah's problem, but they're caught up in Jonah's storm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, sometimes it's not even your storm, but you're yeah. still affected by the storm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're caught up in somebody else's storm, and they're, they're, really, Jonah's solution to the problem was throw me out of the boat. And sometimes we're tempted to throw folks out of the boat <laughs> who are causing a storm for us. There's actually a better option than throwing your Jonah out of the boat. Actually, when you are caught up in somebody else's storm, it gives you an opportunity to deal with your own storm. Yeah, yeah. Because somebody else's storm wouldn't affect you negatively if you didn't have your own storm. Wow. You say, this isn't my problem. Yes, but it triggered your problem. Yeah. And so when you are caught up in somebody else's storm, it's a great opportunity yeah. for you to identify and begin to deal with your own storm. Yeah. And so my wife and I, we dealt with this situation, and then we came home and we both realized, individually and collectively, that this was triggering for us our own storms. Yeah. And so we got to deal with our storm. And so the way we've been dealing with our storm is by doing this practice called Emmanuel Journaling, which you all are going to hear a lot more about, many of you have heard about for a long time, and we've been doing it every day. And the, the thing is, you go through the process in the morning, and then you read it to each other. And so yeah. you're sharing the journey yeah. with one another. And so as I've been dealing with my storm, I had this traumatic memory and the memory I had was when I was about eight years old, and I was at one of my family members' houses, and something traumatic happened, and I ran out of the house screaming and crying. And I remember that moment like it was yesterday, and the Lord took me back to that moment. Yeah. I ran out of the house screaming and crying, and I, I was going to run away. Like, literally, I was going to, I was just, you know, when you're in this blind terror, you're not thinking logically, like, where's an eight-year-old boy going to go? 
But it didn't matter to me at that moment. I just had to get out. I was going to run for my life. The only thing that kept me from running away, away, like down the hill into the mountains away, was I heard my little brother behind me chasing me, calling my name. And he was scared to death. He saw the terror in my face. And so he chased me, screaming my name, Ben, Ben, come back. My youngest brother, Charles, come back, Ben, Ben. And he chased me, and his voice actually stopped me from running away, away. But I got down to the street, and I, I didn't have the bolt. I couldn't come back, but I couldn't run away. So I dropped on the ground and rolled under, my, uh, under the car of my family member, and I hid under the car. And I'm just in terrified. I'm just under the car. I'm just heaving and shaking and crying and heaving and shaking and crying. And my little brother came and he looked under the car and he saw me. And when our eyes met, my heart broke because I could see the concern and the love in his eyes. And I simultaneously wanted to run away and run toward my brother. But I was frozen. I was paralyzed by fear and by torment. I wanted to run toward my brother, but I could not run toward my brother who was saying, come back to me. Don't run away from me. But I'm running away not from him. I'm running away from the thing that's happened, this traumatic event. I'm running from a traumatic event, and so I can't run toward my brother. Isn't that how we experience community? Yeah. In my brother's eyes, I was running away from him. Yeah. He couldn't tell that I was running away from something else, that it wasn't him that I was running away yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He couldn't tell. Do you realize your brothers and sisters don't know what trauma you've suffered, they yeah. just know that you don't show up at their community group. Yeah. And so it feels like you're running away from them. Yeah. They just know that you don't return their calls or their text messages. Yeah. They don't know that the trauma you're actually running from has nothing to do with them. You see, when we talk about commitment to community and covenant community yeah. and committing to community and making covenant with one another yeah, and yeah, being yeah. the body of Christ, we don't realize that all of us are running from some trauma that has nothing to do with the community, yeah. but nobody else knows that but you. Yeah. You're the only one who knows what you're actually running from. And I remember looking into my brother's eyes and seeing the tears because he wanted me to come back to him. He was crying out, I, I need you. I want you. But I, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. And at a certain point, I knew that if I come out from this car and return, there's going to be punishment awaiting me. But I also knew that I can't stay under this car forever, and I can't run away. And so here's what I did. I made a decision. All right, I'll come back. I'll just take the punishment. I know it's going to be swift, severe, and without mercy. But what can I do? And so you know what? All of a sudden, I went numb. And I crawled out from under the car. said, okay, let's go. I'll take it. Let's go. Yeah. No more fear. No more crying. I don't look traumatized anymore. Yeah. That's how a lot of us are walking around life. Wow. You don't look traumatized anymore. You're not weeping and crying anymore. You're not screaming and running for your life anymore. You're not hiding in terror anymore. You've come out of the car, and this is what the Lord said to me. You came out from under the car, but you came out as a dead man walking. Wow. You ever seen that movie, Dead Man Walking? Dead man walking. Dead man walking is what they used to shout when an inmate on death row was walking towards the electric chair. Yeah. Their last walk, walking towards death, 
walking towards punishment. Dead man walking, and he makes his final walk. I know that death is waiting for me at the end of this walk. I know that punishment is waiting for me at the end of this walk. I know that rejection is waiting for me at the end of this walk. Dead man walking. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you came out from under that car a dead man walking, and you've been a dead man walking ever since. Because every day you wake up, and you find the boldness to walk into situations in which you expect to be rejected. You expect punishment. And because you expect rejection and punishment, you find evidence in every relationship to support that expectation. Oh, see? My wife didn't want to hug me. See? That's rejection. I knew it. Okay. I'll take it. Let's go. Okay, fine. All right. You're going to beat me? Go ahead, beat me. You're going to tell me I'm a terrible pastor? Go ahead, tell me. I'll take it. I'll take it. And it looks like humility. People tell me, PB, you're so vulnerable. You admit your faults. Yeah, because when you're a dead man walking, you just expect to be punished. You just expect to be told that you're a failure. You just expect to be told that you're a disappointment, and you just learn how to just take it. You're not taking it with grace. You've resolved yourself to just accept the fact that the world is going to reject you that nobody actually loves you. You've been a dead man walking and you didn't even know it. Wow. You wake up in the morning a dead man walking. That's what that anxiety is. Wow. That anxiety that somehow failure is going to find me today. Hmm. Yeah. Somehow the people in my life are not going to understand me and that understanding is going to lead them to judge me and that judgment is going to lead them to punish me and I deserve it. So I might as well just take it. I can't run away from my brother. So I come back to my brother as a numb one. I'm just numb. Yeah, yeah. I'm just numb. I don't feel anything anymore. Okay. Dead man walking. Mm. Dead man walking cannot experience community. Dead man walking cannot experience love. A dead man walking lives with people who loves him but has no clue, has no consciousness of the love that's all around him. A dead man walking can be accepted but there's never enough acceptance. Yeah, yeah. A dead man walking can be affirmed, but there's never enough affirmation. A dead man walking can, can, can be complimented, but there's never enough compliments. A dead man walking, you see this numbness on him or her because it's like it just all of the compliments just seem to bounce off. And I try to tell you how much I love you, but it just kind of bounces off. And I tell you how much I need you, but it just kind of bounces off. And all of a sudden, I, I disappear from your life, and you don't see me for a while. And then I show up again when I find enough courage to come back and just accept my punishment again. Except the fact, I'll go back to church and hear another sermon that tells me that I don't measure up, that I'm not enough, that I'm not spiritual. I'll go back to church and just hear another message that reminds me of the fact that God is probably displeased with me because I I just haven't, you know, I I don't tithe and I I don't serve a ministry. And I just, and the reason why I can't do those things is because I know I'm going to fail in those things and I'm not spiritual enough. I'm a dead man walking. And not realizing, and I think, the problem is I think that everybody else made me the dead man walking. I think I'm a dead man walking because my wife's too critical. I think I'm a dead man walking because my dad didn't hug me enough. 
I think I'm a dead man walking because that teacher in school abused me. I think I'm a dead man walking because my daughter won't give me enough hugs. I think I'm a dead man walking because not enough people show up for the service and I was disappointed. I, I thought I was a dead man walking because I'm watching the numbers on YouTube go down instead of going up. I think I'm a dead man walking because of everybody else and what I don't realize is that I was a dead man walking before I met her. I was a dead man walking before she was born. I was a dead man walking before we started living hope. I was a dead man walking because of the day that I made a covenant with death and I came into agreement with the grave. You made a covenant with death on the day that you agreed with a lie of the enemy that says you'll never be loved. You made a covenant with death on the day that you agreed with the lie of the enemy that says you're rejected. You're forsaken. You're abandoned. And everyone in your life is always going to forsake and abandon you. You made a covenant with death that day. You said, you know what, death, I agree with you. And that covenant with death causes you to play that out again and again and again in every relationship. And so covenant community, all of that theology of what a covenant community is supposed to be and all of that beautiful biblical truth means nothing to you because you're a dead man walking. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, every time there's trouble since that day, you find a car to hide under. You look for a car to roll under and hide. You withdraw. You disappear. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that the thing my wife has said to me over and over and over and over again for the last 20 plus years of marriage is, why do you avoid me? And what do I say? I'm not avoiding you. I'm just tired. Sometimes a brother just needs to take a nap. My introvert side is coming out. Sometimes I just need some time to meet from just to really me. And then she's like, oh, okay, okay. But why do I feel avoided? And then all of a sudden it dawns on me, because I've been avoiding you for 20 years. Because I'm a dead man walking. Because I assume before we even have an interaction or a talk that whatever you say to me is going to be bad. You remember what was it, Jehoshaphat and, and who was it, a, 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 um, the king, they had a conversation, and Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of the Lord, Ahab, Ahab? yeah, isn't there a prophet of the Lord that we can hear from? And Ahab said, yeah, there's one, but I hate him because he never has anything good to say about me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear from him because he never has anything good to say. He presupposed yeah. if there's a real word from the Lord, it's going to be bad. A lot of us are like, hey, if God really spoke, I don't want God to speak, because if God really spoke to me, he wouldn't have anything good to say about me. The only thing he would say is, you're not enough, you don't measure up, you're a failure, you're not spiritual enough, you don't pray enough, you don't serve enough, you don't tithe enough, you don't love me enough, you don't love the body enough, you're not committed enough, you're not successful enough in life, you don't study hard enough, you're unfaithful on your job, You failed in your relationship. That's all you expect God to hear. All you expect to hear from God. Because you're a dead man walking. And you can't experience community. You can't experience love. And you know what happens when you're a dead man walking? When you've made covenant with death? You're looking for life constantly. Starving for life. Thirsty for attention trying to find something that satisfies that craving. The only problem is you're looking everywhere except in your home, in your church, in your 
in your current relationships, because all of your current relationships have disappointed you. And so you think it must be out there somewhere. And so you're ignoring the people who actually love you so that you can find fulfillment in the people who are on the outskirts because you've concluded that there's no way I can get this in my house. And that's what the Lord showed me. You're avoiding your wife because you think that she's going to criticize you, not realizing that she criticizes you because you avoid her. And when she criticizes you, what she's saying is, I feel insignificant, abandoned, and alone because you don't talk to me. What you hear is, I don't love you and I don't want you, so stay away from me. And you think you're actually doing her a favor by avoiding her. But yet if she didn't love you, why would she feel insignificant when you avoid her? Can I say something to you husbands (laughs) who are scared of your wife's anger? (laughs) Do you know what her anger means? She still cares. Because if she didn't care, she would be apathetic towards you. But the fact that she still gets angry means she still cares. And that's a good thing. As long as my wife's mad at me, I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) She's mad? Oh, praise the Lord. That means she still cares. She hasn't given up. this is what the Lord said to me. He said, son, on that day, when you hid under that car, I laid there on the ground next to you. And I invited you to come to me. But I knew that at that moment, you were so blinded by fear that you could neither see nor hear my invitation. So what I've done is I've waited here under this car for the last 35 years waited for your return because I knew the day would come when you'd be old enough to come back to this moment and I would be waiting for you here. And now that you're back under the car, I say, welcome home, son. Welcome home to me. I'm here with open arms. You ran and hid under the car because you needed a hiding place, but I say to you that this day, I have become your hiding place. And there will no longer be any hiding under cars. Now you will hide in me. Now you'll hide yourself in me. Now you will come to me and find me to be your hiding place. Now the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. I can't run to you unless I first learn to run to him. And the reason why I can't run to you is because I have made a covenant with death. And so instead of running to him, as soon as there's trouble, I just start running towards the grave. As soon as there's trouble, I think, oh, I'm dead. You know what I'm talking about? That's it. I'm dead. (laughs) I remember I was on the freeway one time, and I'm driving. I was driving home up the five, and I'm going, you know, 85, something out. I was was up there. (laughs) And I came under under an overpass, and on right on the other side of the overpass, Hidden from view, as soon as I came out, there was a CHP with his, with his gun, like this. <laughs> Probably had his negrometer on, too. No, I'm just kidding. I, and I, so I'm like, I, and, and as soon as I looked, I, I just, right past that cop, you know what I did? I just pulled over. 
He didn't even turn on his lights. He didn't even move. And I, oh, shoot. I just pulled over, rolled down my windows, took out my license and registration, put my hands on the wheel at 10 to 2, and I just waited. I know I'm going to jail. Five minutes go by. I'm still waiting. And at about the seven-minute mark, I turned around and looked back, and he's still there under the, right on the other, he's still there. I think, was it not on? You're not going to kill me? See, that's the crazy thing. I mean, so often you're expecting the hammer to fall, and the hammer doesn't fall. When I actually got out from under that car and went back, yeah, the punishment came, but it was nothing. I was expecting to be beaten and scourged. I was expecting to be slapped across the face. I was expecting, you know, barbed wire. I was expecting to be caned. And you know what? You know what the punishment was? You know what the punishment was? I had to fold some clothes. Fold those clothes right now. Oh, that's it? That's it? But it was too late. The lesson had been learned. The covenant with death had been signed. It's crazy that we're so quick to sign covenants with death, to agree with the lies of the enemy that say, you will never be loved. And then, then all of a sudden, the contract we sign and the decision we make is, I'll never let anybody do that to me again. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to treat me like that again. Nobody will ever reject me like that. And when you make a decision like that, a bitter root judgment, nobody will ever drive me under a car again. Do you know what you're actually saying? For the rest of my life, everyone is going to drive me under the car. Whenever you make a decision, nobody will ever. What you're actually saying is everybody will because you just made a covenant with death. Nobody will ever treat me. What you're actually saying is as soon as I feel like somebody's treating me that way, I'm going to run and hide under the car preemptively. If I even get a whiff of that kind of rejection, I'm running under my car because nobody will ever treat me that way again, which means that I'm going to pretend that everybody is for the rest of my life. You were quick to sign that covenant. Somebody says, why don't you join our community group? Oh, no, I'm afraid of commitment. You're not afraid of commitment. You committed to death at eight years old. You signed a covenant with death when you were six, and you're afraid of commitment. You've been honoring that covenant with death since you were a little girl. But you're afraid to commit to a six-week community group. (laughs) Oh, it got real quiet in here all of a sudden. Preacher, you're getting too close to home now. But this was the word of the Lord. He said, your covenant with death will be annulled. Experiencing ourselves to be a covenant community begins with the annulment of our covenant with death. Because to be a community, do you know what the Bible says about our community? First of all, in that passage there in Isaiah 28, do you know what he says a few verses earlier? Behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in it will never be put to shame. And then he says, 
Oh, by the way, your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with the grave will not stand. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter actually picks up on this passage from Isaiah 20, 28. And he clarifies it and applies it to us believers. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, that, that choice cornerstone that God talked about in Isaiah 28 is Jesus. As you come to him, he's the living stone. Remember when he said to his disciples, you see this temple? You see how beautiful it is? Well, I say to you that not one stone shall be left upon another. And then he says, destroy this temple and I'll build it up in three days. And nobody knew what he was talking about. And then after his resurrection, they realized that the temple he was talking about was not Solomon's temple. It was his body. He said, destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days. They destroyed that temple and he raised it up in three days. When they put him to death, not one stone remained upon another. But three days later, he, he rebuilt the temple. He brought it out of the grave. He was talking about his own resurrection. Yeah. And in the ancient world, when they actually built Solomon's temple, do you know what they did? They started by hewing out two stones out of the rock. And the first stone was called the cornerstone, and it was perfect. The second stone was called the capstone, and it was perfect. And they made sure the cornerstone and the capstone were identical. The cornerstone is the beginning. The capstone is the end. The cornerstone is the alpha. The capstone is the omega. And then what they do is they set up the cornerstone and the capstone and every other stone that they pull, that they hew out of that quarry, they set it next to the cornerstone and the capstone and they conform every other stone to the image of the cornerstone and the capstone. And so Peter is literally saying, Jesus is the cornerstone. Yeah. And as you come to him, the living stone... You also are being fitted together a spiritual house. Do you hear what Peter says? He says, when you come to him, you're being fitted together. Did you get that? Because I thought when I came to him, I'm coming to him. <laughs> Peter is looking at the church going, when you come to him, you come to y'all. Wow. As you come to him, y'all are being fitted together. Yes, yes. You can't come to him without coming to y'all. See, in your covenant with death, you think it's just me and Jesus. I'm just coming to him. You can't come to him and reject y'all. You can't think that you can be intimately and deeply connected to Jesus while aloof from his body. As you come to him, the living stone, you also are being fitted together a spiritual house to be a, a holy or a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What happens as we're shaped into the image of Jesus is that all of a sudden we start fitting together. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That discipleship to Jesus brings us into deeper relationship with one another. Yeah. Now here's what religion says. Religion says, this is covenant community. Commit to being at church every Sunday, going to community group every Wednesday night. Make sure you serve a minute. That's what religion says. Religion says, if you follow these motions wow. and agree to, do the, to be a part of these events, that's the Christian life. Do you realize you can come to church every Sunday, come to community group every Wednesday, serve a ministry, tithe faithfully, and still go to hell? But when you begin to connect relationally with Jesus, yeah. do you know what he does? See, here is the strategy of religion. The strategy of religion is keep believing the lie, just resist its consequence. Oh, wow. Mercy. 
Don't do the following things, not realizing that the reason you do the following things is because you're believing the lie. So all you do with religion is resist the consequence. I got to stop smoking. I got to stop drinking. I got to stop looking at pornography. I got to stop cussing. I got to stop gossiping. Whatever it is that got to stop, I got to stop. That's religion. That's religious language. I got to stop doing it. Not realizing that all of that stuff is the consequence of the lie that you're believing. And that lie was your covenant with death. So I don't care if you keep believing the lie, just re- resist its consequence. And for the rest of your life, it's just resistance, resistance, resist, resist the consequences of the lie. Religion says resist the lie, I'm sorry, believe the lie, resist its consequence. But relationship with Jesus, as soon as you begin to connect relationally with Jesus, here's the strategy. Believe the truth and receive its benefits. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you know what the benefits of the truth are? Holiness. Purity of mind, body, and heart. Yeah. And restoration to godly relationships. Being fitted together. Mm. A spiritual house. Mm. When I come to him, how do I know I'm coming to him? Because he starts removing the garbage from my heart that keeps me from being fitted together with you. And if you think you're coming to him and he's not working on you about getting fitted together with his his body, you're not coming to him. I mean, you might be coming to him in a religious sense. <laughs> I, remember, I remember me and my wife used to have these big, nasty fights, and we couldn't, figure, we couldn't get to the bottom of it. And finally, she said to me, she's like, you need to pray until God speaks to you. You need to pray until God changes your heart. Don't come to bed tonight until God speaks to you. And I went in the living room. I prayed all night long, <laughs> all night long. And the next morning, she said to me, what did God say to you? I said, I don't know. I was still mad at her. I, st- I still, after praying all night long, I still thought it was her fault. Because that's what I was praying. God, will you just speak to her? Would you open her eyes to see that it's her fault? And yeah, change me too if you need to. But I'm pretty sure. And I was like, I prayed all night long and I still think it's your fault. She goes, I didn't tell you to pray all night long. I told you to pray till God speaks to you. The goal is God speaking to you, not praying for a long time. Religion says if you go through the motions for a long period of time, you've done it. I fasted 40 days, so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tithed 50% of my, so? Yeah. I go to church every Sunday, never miss. So, but do you open your heart? Yeah. Do you connect with his heart? Because the moment you begin to engage him relationally, he starts taking you back under your cars. He starts taking you back to the place where you made covenant with death. He's not even dealing with the consequences. He's not even dealing with the behavior. He's not, because all we know how to do is come back and repent for the behavior. And God says, I'm not even dealing with that. I want to get to the lie that created it. I want to take you back and show you that all of that rejection and all of that shame and all of that stuff that the devil told you is a lie. I want to take you back and free you. I want to take you back under your car and show you I was here waiting for you. I want to set you free so that you no longer have to live as a dead man walking. Because when you're living as a dead man walking, you can still be very religious. You can look like a super mature Christian. But in your heart, you're still wearing grave clothes. Wow. Doesn't mean you're not a believer, but you're just Lazarus. 
He's called you to life and you've come hopping out of the grave, but you're still bound up in grave clothes and you haven't heard Jesus say, loose him and let him go free yet. What if they hadn't untied him? Lazarus would have hopped around life. He's alive, but he's, he's bound in grave clothes. You still are living in that covenant with the grave, that covenant with death, that agreement with the grave. And God says, this is life. Your covenant with death shall be annulled. Amen. And your agreement with the grave shall not stand. Amen. You've been a dead man walking for too long. Now it's time to be a living stone. I tell you what, I experienced so much freedom this week over that word. The Lord spoke to me and said, you're no longer going to live as a dead man walking. Now you're a blessed man walking. Yeah. Now you're a blessed man walking. I tell you what, that's been reverberating in my spirit ever since I woke up in the middle of the night that night to go to the bathroom. And I said, blessed man walking to the bathroom. Blessed man peeing. I went back to sleep and I woke up in the morning. I was walking through the halls to take out the garbage. I'm like, blessed man taking out the garbage. Blessed man. Blessed man taking a shower. Blessed man getting dressed. Blessed man going to work. Blessed man going to church. This morning I'm getting ready for church. I'm like, blessed man going to church. Come on, somebody. You need to get that blessed man syndrome, that blessed woman syndrome. You need to wake up and say, blessed woman going to community group. Blessed man going to church. Blessed man going to work. Blessed woman going to work. You need to get that in your mind and heart. Blessed woman. Uh, Maxine, when you stand up here to worship, blessed woman standing at the microphone. Blessed, Jasmine, when you sit at that keyboard, blessed woman sitting at that keyboard. When you're ushering, blessed woman ushering. When you're greeting, blessed man greeting. Blessed woman. Bless. What if you had that blessed Blessed man, blessed woman syndrome. Where you walk in and you don't, and all of a sudden you begin to live like Joseph. You see, Joseph had the blessed man syndrome. Even when he's approaching his brothers who are plotting to kill them, he's completely unaware of it. Blessed man coming, brothers! And they hit him low and they beat him, you know. He never saw it coming. Why? Blessed man syndrome. I don't expect evil. I expect good. And even when they sold him to Egypt, he entered as a slave in Potiphar's house. Blessed man syndrome. Yeah. Potiphar said, sweep that floor. He's like, blessed man sweeping the floor. Yeah. That's why he was excellent. Yeah. Potiphar's like, I've never seen a floor swept that well. That's because a blessed man never swept your floor before. <laughs> Build that fence. Blessed man building the fence. Yeah. And even when Potiphar's wife betrayed him and he was thrown into prison, he's like, blessed man walking in the prison. Didn't matter his circumstance. Didn't, he was no longer blaming his circumstance or his situation. His external reality had nothing to do with his internal state. I'm a blessed man in the prison. I'm a blessed man in the, in the place of slavery. And I'm a blessed man in Pharaoh's house. And when he was brought to the palace, he said, blessed man standing before Pharaoh. Come on, somebody. Uh. Some of you need to renounce your covenant with death today. Renounce your covenant with the grave today. Come against that agreement. Nobody will ever love me. That's a lie from the enemy. And that was what the Lord revealed to me. Because I've said this to my wife for 20 years. I feel so rejected. I feel so rejected. Constantly feeling rejected. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, son, do you know what rejection is? Rejection means... I don't love you and I don't want you. And when all of a sudden the Lord gave me that definition of rejection, I realized my wife has never rejected me. Ever. And honestly, even going back to the traumatic experiences of my past, 
Do you know what a traumatic experience is in your past? Someone, you someone who might even love you experiencing a pause in their ability to express it to you. Yeah. It doesn't even mean they don't love you. Because you know what? My daughter is racking up traumatic experiences <laughs> because of her daddy and a few from her mommy that she's going to have to go to when she gets older. Yeah. I am right now, honestly, I mean, Sonny and I are very aware that we are unintentionally jacking up our daughter, just messing her up. It's going to need to be a lot of therapy when she gets older. And sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes, ooh, I just messed her up right there. And, you know, I try to tell her, baby, I'm so sorry, Daddy. Daddy's so sorry. What Daddy said there, that was not right. That was, that was very mean. I'm sorry about that. Putting some money away for your therapy right now. To, to setting up that therapy account. <laughs> Last key I'll give you. I had a lot of pain with my dad when I was growing up. When I was in my early 20s, I had this idea that if I could get him to acknowledge the mistakes he made and the ways he hurt me and apologize, that would be my source of healing. I could be healed if he would acknowledge and apologize. And so I would like inadvertently try to confront him in those days or try to throw something in there. That never worked. It just turned into like this clash. I, I was coming from the wrong spirit anyway. And when I realized that wasn't going to happen, in my early 30s, I went through this process, this decoupling process, where my emotional, spiritual, and mental wellness was no longer dependent upon his acknowledgement and his apology, because here's what the Lord showed me. So you think you can't heal without his acknowledgement and apology? Okay, well then he can't heal without his dad's then. And by the way, his dad is dead. So if his dad can come back from the grave and acknowledge and apologize to him, then he, can, then he can be healed, and then he can acknowledge and apologize to you. So I guess you're stuck then. I was like, God, stop playing. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized that my well-being is not dependent upon his acknowledgement or his yeah. And that secondly, the Lord showed me that even if he didn't acknowledge and apologize, it wouldn't heal me because I'm not that eight-year-old boy anymore. And he's not that 24-year-old man anymore. Well, he was 24 when I was born. Okay, 32 when I was eight. And all, you know what happened? I was, I'll never forget, I was 34 years old. And I had this moment before the, this encounter with God. And you know what happened in me? Forgiveness. I mean, like, complete and total, for, like, release. Total release. It was, it was crazy. It was like the most uncanny moment where the Lord showed me four things. First thing he showed me, he doesn't know why he did those things. He doesn't get it. Meaning it came out of his own brokenness. Those, that stuff was done to him when he was little. Number two, it had nothing to do with you. It didn't mean that he didn't love me. Three, he would change it if he could, but he can't. And four, he's always loved you, even if he didn't know how to show it. And that moment, this overwhelming, I said, God, I forgive him. And when I said that, like in, in response to that revelation, my soul was flooded with forgiveness. Like complete, it was like, yeah. Actually, see, and this is the thing, like my brother looking under the car at me, 
I ran from him that day. That's what he must have felt. If I was eight, he was four. All he knows is his big brother, who he used to sleep in the bed with at night. We used to hug at night. We used to sleep in the bed hugging each other. He used to come climb, climb in my bed every night, and I would hug him, and we would sleep like that. And now his big brother's running away from him. He didn't know at that moment that it had nothing to do with him, that I wasn't actually running from him. Well, the same was true of my father. He wasn't actually running away from me. He wasn't actually angry. It, had not, it, didn't, it was something that happened when he was a child. He brought it with him into parenthood. And our kids don't know that half the time when we lash out at them or whatever we do, it actually isn't even about them. They don't even know, but they don't know that it has nothing to do with them. They think we're being mean to them. And they don't realize that we're responding to a deeper trauma that goes back further. And in the body of Christ, we don't realize, we don't know what we're doing to one another. We don't, you don't know why I don't respond to your text messages. You don't realize it has nothing to do with you, but then it, it's hard for you not to feel rejected. You're looking under the car going, PB, how come you're not responding to me? And, and I'm, I'm running from a different trauma that has nothing to do with you, but you, and we do that to each other all the time. don't realize that the thing that hinders us from entering into authentic community with one another is actually not even about one another. Wow. It's about traumas that go all the way back to our childhood. Yeah. But what happens is as we come to him, the living stone, Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. The living stone has experienced the same rejection that you've experienced. The living stone has been marked the same way you are marked. The living stone has been traumatized the same way you and I were traumatized. The only difference between the living stone and the rest of us is that his primary reality was never the rejection of men. It was the fact that he was chosen by God and precious to him. That was always his primary reality. So much so that he could hang on the cross experiencing the deepest rejection of men. And there on the cross he could say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they're doing to me isn't even about me and they don't even know it. Yeah. He could look under our car and say, I know, it. I know it seems you're running from me, but I don't feel that you're running from me. See, every time you look back in your past and say, why was I running from God? God knows you're not running from me. You're running from your auntie. You're running from your uncle. You're running from daddy. You're running from mommy. But... In the meantime, you can't see me, you can't hear me, you can't respond to me, but if you can hear my voice and run to me, the living stone who was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. When you come to the living stone, he takes you and he begins to form you into his image. Yeah. And as he forms you into his image, let me tell you what that looks like. That means he takes these two realities in your life that every single one of us has been rejected by men but chosen by God. Yeah. And he says to you, this first reality of rejection, this has been your primary reality for long enough. And look at the nails in my hands and feet. Yeah. I had the same reality, only worse. Because yeah. you were rejected by one or two people. I was rejected by the world. Wow. Yeah. Mm. This has been your primary reality long enough. Yeah. I'm going to exchange that reality for this one. Yes. You've been chosen by God and precious to him. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when that begins to become mm. a more prominent reality in our lives, 
all of a sudden I can come to you and I can be fitted together with you. My covenant with death is broken and therefore I can enter into covenant with him. And the moment I enter into covenant with him, I experience my covenant with him immediately, simultaneously as covenant with you. Because all of a sudden I can be committed to you. All of a sudden I can be devoted to you. <laughs> all of a sudden the hindrances in my heart that cause me to run from community to run from love are taken away because I came to him. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I have no more fear of commitment because mm. I'm not a dead man walking anymore. Yeah. I'm a blessed man walking. Amen. And I can't wait to share that blessing with you. And you know what? You're also blessed men and women walking. And I can't wait for you to share that blessing with me. Yes. And now we're fitted together. Amen. Yes. A spiritual house. Now we're a spiritual house. Yes. We're not fitted together because of shared interest. We're not fitted together because of shared ethnicity. Yeah, yeah, we're not yeah, fitted yeah. together because of shared education or shared yeah. culture or yeah. shared nationality or shared politics or shared ideology. We're fitted together because we have come to the living stone. Yeah. What we share is the one living stone, the chosen and precious cornerstone. Ah. That's what fits us together. And all of a sudden, we can tolerate differences amongst ourselves. We can tolerate different points of view because we're being fitted together. A spiritual house offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's called us to be a covenant community. And you know what that means? We are the upper room. That's all that God is gathering right now, is the upper room. Do you know how many were in the upper room? 120. It's almost like we've been reduced to an upper room-sized church. Jesus told his disciples, just go wait in Jerusalem. And it says, when they were in one place and in one accord, in the upper room, that's when the Holy Spirit came. And when, oh, see, the Holy Spirit is waiting to move, but he's waiting for that one place, one accord, one heart, one mind, gathered together in the upper room. He's waiting for that. But do you know what all 120 of those had in common? They had come to Jesus. They had come to the living stone. They had walked with him for three years. And all of a sudden, when he's taken up, they look around and realize that they were in covenant with one another. They realized that they had been fitted together. They realized that they had mutual honor and respect for one another. They realized that they understood one another's gifts. They realized. Yeah. Because they had walked with him. Yeah, that's it. They realized that they had been fitted together. And now they're together in the upper room and there's only a handful of us, but I'm so excited right now because Jesus said that if we would wait here and come together here and covenant here together and commit to one another together in this place. Yeah, yeah. He said he was coming. He said that the sound of a rushing mighty wind is coming. He said he's getting ready to shake the heavens and the earth. He's just been waiting for this moment. This moment is so powerful. Don't miss the power of this moment. Don't be afraid. Let me tell you what covenant community doesn't mean. See, religion, and Satan often speaks in the voice of religion. Sometimes it's, you think it's religion speaking to you, it's Satan. Here's what covenant community doesn't mean. You're never allowed to leave. You're signing your life away. 
You're losing control over yourself. You have no more power to decide. You're going to have to submit to arbitrary rules, requirements, and restrictions. That's what the enemy tells you. That's not what covenant is. That is not what covenant is. Let me tell you something. If God does move you on, we don't want you here another moment after that. Your covenant is with God and inadvertently with us. But here's what covenant is. Covenant is this. I'm committed to the body of Christ, so committed to the body of Christ that whatever part of the body of Christ God has me in right now, you will experience my full devotion. If this is the house where God has called me to manifest my covenant with the body of Christ, then I will manifest it fully in this house. That's all it means. And when God moves me to another part of the world, that place, whatever body God puts me in that place, will experience the full force of my devotion to Christ in that house. That's all it means. But we get to that place by breaking our covenant with death. By determining that our agreement with the grave will not stand. By coming out from under our cars. Because for many of us, walking towards community feels like walking towards punishment. It feels like walking towards slavery. It feels like walking towards restriction. It feels like walking towards rules. It feels like walking towards religion. But may I say to you that God is the God of the living and not the dead. The dead church is simply the religious church. It's the church that is about rules and regulation. But the living church is the church that's alive because it's about coming to the living stone. And let me tell you what's going to happen. When you come to the living stone, there's going to be some scary moments. Because there's been some cars that you have been hiding under for years that you've been afraid to revisit. But he's going to take you by by the hand and say, with people who love you all around you, I'm going to take you back under that car. And there I'm going to reveal my presence to you. I'm going to turn the valley of Achor into a door of hope. I'm going to give you back your vineyards. I'm going to show you that you weren't alone under that car. I'm going to reveal my presence to you there. I'm going to show you that now I have become your hiding place. Now your heart is going to cry out, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And a couple verses later he says, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me. Come on, say that. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me. Come on. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set my foot upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. (laughs) You hear that? Now that I know that he is my hiding place, I'm no longer a dead man walking. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. That's what God wants you to experience every time you get out of bed in the morning. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of praise in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I'm not afraid of rejection anymore. You know why? When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. I'm going to keep coming back to you. And even if you reject me, the Lord will take care of me. You know why? Because if you reject me, it's not even about me. I'm just going to assume that when you run from me, it has nothing to do with me. You're running from some trauma that you've carried with you all your life. And so if you walk away from me, if you reject me, if you avoid me, 
I'm still going to love you. That's what happens when we come out from under our cars and we're walking as, not as dead men walking, but as blessed men walking, not as dead women walking, but as blessed women walking. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm not afraid of your rejection anymore because I know it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. And now we can experience true life. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would take these words spoken today as imperfect as they were, and speak your perfect life through them. Clarify by the power of the Holy Spirit what you are speaking to every soul and every heart. God, this is a holy moment right now. It's a holy moment because there's many in this place right now, and even under the sound of my voice, individuals in their homes, in their bedrooms, in their living rooms, wherever they are, and even those that are going to listen to this message, even years from now, you're still going to be speaking through this moment here. You're taking us back under our cars, back to that place where we made covenant with death and didn't even know it. And you're speaking today saying your covenant with death shall be annulled today. Your covenant with death shall be annulled today. As you come to him, the living stone, your agreement with the grave shall not stand. No more. Something in your heart needs to cry out right now. No more. No more covenant with death. No more agreement with the grave. No more. No more expectation of impending punishment. No more walking towards community as a dead man walking, expecting rejection. No more. Now I'm going to walk towards blessing. Now I'm going to walk towards reward. Holy Spirit, move upon every soul right now. Bring freedom. Bring freedom right now. This just, just for this moment, just talk to God right where you are. Just talk to Him. Ask Him for freedom explicitly. Ask Him to take you back under your car and set you free. Reveal His presence to you. No more dead man walking. No more dead woman walking. Blessed man walking. Blessed woman walking. For some of you, that freedom is going to feel like forgiveness. That's where the real freedom is all of a sudden forgiveness happens. I didn't realize that I had replaced my father with my wife. When I was 34, the Lord healed me of believing I needed an apology from him. I just released him, set him free, but I still believed I needed one from my wife and kept trying to get one for years until the Lord showed me that I was living as a dead man walking and now it's time to set her free. And you know what happens when you set people free around you? They live free. They get free and they don't even know why. There was a new intimacy with my father that came out of that moment when I was 34 years old. A new intimacy, a new trust, a new depth of love between us. There's no walls between us. There's nothing between us. It's all washed away. (laughs) And now I'm beginning to experience a new freedom between me and my wife because the Lord is is revealing to me it's time to release her too. There's somebody in your life that you need to release. But you can only release them if you come to the living stone. You gotta come to the living stone. You gotta come to Jesus. Even forgiveness can be a religious thing. It's not about breaking your covenant with death, it's just about I forgive them, which means I simply accept all of the harm that came to me and I'll just bear it all. That's dead man walking talk. That's not what it is. Forgiveness is not, oh, well, I'll just give you the right to hurt me over and over again for the rest of my life, and I'll just accept the fact that I'm just going to be hurt again and again and again. That's not forgiveness. 
Forgiveness, Pastor Mike Perkinson said this. He said, forgiveness is the one weapon for which hell has no response. The one weapon for which hell has no response. Forgiveness, first of all, is freedom for you. And secondly, it's freedom for the one you forgive. Freedom. You don't realize that by forgiving your dad or forgiving your mom or forgiving your sister or your cousin or whoever it is, you're actually setting your whole community free. You're actually opening a door in your heart that many are going to come through and experience you in a new and authentic way. Why? Because they'll no longer experience you as a dead man walking, as a dead woman walking. Now all of a sudden, you can walk in newness of life. Amen. Holy Spirit, clarify for every soul. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. In Jesus' name. Worship team, just, just sing us a song.